Hello, and welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Well, good morning. So, so far 2018 has started off as a great year for me. I started the year with a 10-day study tour throughout Israel. And in typical Amanda fashion, I decided I needed to learn Hebrew. So I started to study Hebrew and tried to learn some basic phrases. Hello, goodbye, good morning, good evening, please and thank yous. So when I would arrive on January 3rd, I thought I would have a leg up on all my other travelers. So we met our tour guide, Ronan, on the first night. He said, Shalom, Erev Tov. And I got so excited because I actually knew what he said. He said, hello, good evening. And so everywhere we went, I tried to use these phrases at hotels or restaurants. I was saying shalom this and shalom that and thought I was fitting in pretty good in Israel until the second night when Ronan said shalom, or he said Shabbat shalom. And I froze because I didn't know what he said. I hadn't studied that phrase. I was confused why he threw in another new phrase. But I quickly learned that simply put, Shabbat shalom means peaceful Shabbat or Sabbath. Shabbat Shalom is reserved specifically for Friday evening through Saturday evening when the the Jewish population, the Jewish world, pauses for their Sabbath. And in Israel, Shabbat is a day of rest unlike anything I've ever seen before. Imagine a time of your week, every week, where you set aside work, and you set aside technology, and you invest in your family, and you share the best meal of the week with them. And you sing and you pray and maybe you're singing off tune to God, but it doesn't matter because you're praising him for his blessings and his mercy. Is that even possible? Like, could we really do that? Think about your life. Could you set aside 24 hours for God? Traveling to Israel, um, I saw Shabbat from a front row seat. And it made me yearn for this radical countercultural practice. I stood at the Western Wall on a Friday night and I watched sons alongside their fathers and daughters alongside their mothers, and they spent their Friday night praying and praising God. And I watched groups of friends join together in song and in dance as they celebrated the joy of the Lord. And that night, I stood in a crowd of hundreds, and I realized this deep void in my own life for Sabbath. So today, I want to explore with you the seemingly lost practice of Sabbath in our culture. We'll consider why it's so challenging for us to practice Sabbath. We're going to turn to scripture and discover what God has to say on this immensely important command. And finally, I want to share with you some of the blessings we receive by participating in God's invitation to rest. There are at least three things I think stand in our way of embracing Sabbath, and that is boredom, busyness, and economic gain. Author and former pastor Eugene Peterson said this, Busyness is an illness of the spirit. Busyness has become a badge of honor. How many things are we volunteering for? How many meetings do we just have to attend? How many kids' events are you driving your kids to and from every day? How many clubs or extracurriculars or sports are we doing inside of school and outside of school? It almost becomes a competition. Who can be the busiest in life? A hundred years ago, the upper class was known for their leisure. They were known for taking long walks and reading and talking and having tea together. Has anyone seen Downton Abbey? Please. Oh, so few of you. Okay. Well, in an hour-long episode, you would see Lady Mary and whatever guy she was courting at the time horseback riding or walking through the garden, and you would see the grandmother have tea 
either by herself or with friends, multiple times in an episode. And they would have dinner every night, these formal fancy dinners with friends and family or whoever happened to be coming into town. And I would watch that show and wonder, what did I have to do to be like them? What did I have to do to earn my leisure time, <laughs> to be able to relax in the English countryside? But I, I think today we're known for busyness being associated with privilege and importance and value. And we don't even question it, really, because I believe we don't know how to be bored. Ask yourself, really, when was the last time you were bored? Honestly, the last time I felt bored, I was 15 years old, and the power had just gone out, and my computer died, and my cell phone died, and I looked at my parents and I thought, well, what am I supposed to do now? <laughs> I could die from boredom. Do you not understand? <laughs> this is real. And for some of the students in here and the kids, I'm sure you can think of a time you felt like there was nothing good to watch or nobody to text, and you're watching your younger sibling play a sport, and you felt bored out of your mind. But for the most part, we've gotten rid of boredom. So the idea of Sabbath, of no work, no TV, no smartphones, sounds incredibly boring to most. Yet it's often in the quiet and the stillness that the Holy Spirit speaks into our life. Like the prophet Elijah on Mount Horeb, waiting to hear from God. God sent wind, he sent an earthquake, he sent fire, yet God was in what came next. He was in the still, quiet whisper. We need to take time to stop the restless busyness of our life so we can hear God's soft whisper and experience his peaceful presence. Another hurdle we face in understanding the challenges of Sabbath is our economic gain. All right, you might know where I'm going with this, but humor me. Has anyone here been to Chick-fil-A? Okay. Have any of you been to Chick-fil-A on a Sunday when it was closed? Right? You were craving some waffle fries and a chicken sandwich, only to remember that it's Sunday and no Chick-fil-A anywhere would be open. And others of you grew up where businesses and stores were regularly closed on Sunday and nobody batted an eye. And you just knew that if you needed to get something for Sunday dinner, you had to get it on Saturday. So it seems backwards to think that in a world today where we would choose to close our doors from revenue and profit in exchange for really in exchange for anything, the idea that something would supersede one's economic gain seems crazy. And economic gain isn't for those of you, it's not reserved just if you own a business. It's answering emails, it's answering texts and calls, it's crunching numbers, it's studying more and more and more. Whatever you're dedicated to, the idea of not continually furthering that whenever the opportunity arises is challenging. So choosing to practice Sabbath is like swimming upstream. When the world says that we are economic beings, it's a challenge to say no. So what does God have to say about Sabbath? From the foundation of the earth, rest was a part of life. In Genesis, it says, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. You see, God weaves rest into the creation story by practicing it himself, and also by making the seventh day holy, making it set apart. Sabbath rest was meant to be set apart. It wasn't meant to be squeezed in whenever you had time. God's example moves from a demonstration and a declaration of rest to an invitation and instruction for his people to rest in Exodus 20. But are the Ten Commandments just meant to be suggestions? Are they meant to be followed loosely? An idea, a good thought? No, <laughs> they're not. Let me answer that for you. They're not meant to be a suggestion. And we see that the fourth commandment says to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. And not just holy for you as an individual, 
but holy for your family, for your children, for your workers, and even for your animals. It's one of the ways God's people are distinguishable from others. There's nothing else comparable in any of the cultures of the the Near East or ancient world of that time. So ever since Moses came down the mountain, generation after generation have endeavored to keep that one day uniquely holy. So while God instructs the humans to remember the Sabbath rest, we forget that he also instructs that the land should rest every seventh year for an entire year, (laughs) the whole year. And so in a society where agriculture was key for sustaining life, this was a big sacrifice. It would be as if you were asked to leave aside your job or your schoolwork. And some of you might be excited about that, right? But God commanded them to lay it aside because it was actually better for them in the long run. You see, the land needed to rest in order to slow the rate of sodium in the soil caused by irrigation, So in fact, the more they worked the land without rest, the more they they ignored God and didn't listen to him, the more their land suffered, and it stopped producing because of the exhaustion of the soil. When we disobey God and we rebel against his clear instruction, there are going to be consequences, and in the end it hurts us. But when we obey God and we rest and our work rests, we have the recipe for longevity. And let me just add, if you're sitting there concerned about what they would do for food, since agriculture was the main source of life, God promised to bring them enough blessing in the years ahead to last them. So God doesn't call us to call it quits and leave things aside and say, figure it out by yourself. God provides for all of our needs every single step of the way. We don't have to worry about the how or the what if, what's going to happen. God goes ahead of us and he paves a way. The law of Moses came to the people in a time when they needed instruction. They needed bumpers. And bumpers or guardrails are good for us. They actually protect us. For instance, I'm the kind of bowler that if I were to bowl without bumpers, it would not be pretty. But with bumpers, I would like to think I can hold my own out there on the lanes. And I'll take a challenge from anyone willing to challenge me. The Israelites, they needed bumpers. They needed God to give them instruction for a healthy life between them and God. However, as the generations progressed, the teachers of the law, they decided to fill in the margins of the law where they saw gaps. Some scholars say they added upwards of 600 regulations on what was considered as working on the Sabbath. And frankly, it's not exclusive to Jews. As Christians, some of you may have been in a family or a town who who kept the Sabbath regularly and added some of your own sort of made-up, out-of-the-air regulations. Um, Some people might have been able to listen to the radio, but not watch TV. And I was talking to Pastor Dorothy, and her grandma kept the Sabbath, and when they were at her house, she allowed them to watch TV and read. That was okay. But on the Sabbath, you were absolutely not allowed to do sports. You weren't allowed to go shopping. You weren't allowed to have any recreational fun, basically. So is the Sabbath just a command to stop everything? Is it a list of what you can and can't do? Coming home from Israel, I still had a lot of questions, something they warned me about. If you truly desire to learn and grow in the Holy Land, you will leave with more questions than you came with. But I wanted to see a list. I wanted to see a list. I wanted to ask Ronan, what's the list of what's allowed and what's not allowed? Where is the line? But isn't that always the case with our faith, wanting to know how close we can tiptoe to the line before we've broken a command, how far we can push those boundaries? So through this process of coming home and preparing for this sermon, I've learned that God's original intent for Sabbath wasn't to keep us towing the line. It was to bless us. 
Sabbath is an invitation to receive blessing from God. And so today, I hope, we'll begin to experience that. So let's turn to scripture to better understand. The Gospel of Luke was written to a Greek-speaking upper class of Rome. And they were most likely Gentiles outside of the Jewish population. And Luke knows his audience, who he's writing to, needs confirmation of their faith. And they also need arguments to help defend their faith. And so halfway through Luke's historical writings, we see this story of Jesus has this encounter on the Sabbath. And it emphasizes just how close the Jews were to Jesus, yet how quickly they missed the heart of the Sabbath. So open up a pew Bible in front of you or an app on your phone to Luke 13. It's on page 873 in your pew Bibles. And this morning we're going to work through the text piece by piece so you can read along with me. So Luke 13, beginning in verse 10. Now he, so that's Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. So the scene we find ourselves in is a Jewish synagogue on Sabbath. And this isn't a big temple, but it's a smaller town synagogue where local Jews would gather each week to have a service on the Sabbath, like us. And like our service, they would have prayer and there would be a scripture reading, but there would actually only be about five minutes of teaching. And I asked uh, Pastor Rick, and he said I could not do that. So just bear with me as we continue on this morning. Uh, The synagogue was the heart of the community. And I, I had the opportunity when I was in Israel to walk through this ancient city, Chorazin. And here's a picture of it. And the ruins show you, when you walk through them, how a house was connected to your kid's house. So your kid would grow up, and they would add a room on. And another kid would add a room on. And some of you parents are thinking, this is too close for comfort. But And then next to your neighbor's house, and your next neighbor's, and so on and so forth, until you reach the synagogue. Life was done intimately in community. It wasn't spread out the way we have it today. It was all done with the synagogue at the center. So Jesus is teaching in this particular synagogue, and it was common to have a guest speaker teach on the Sabbath. And in comes this woman. And for 18 years, she was crippled, Scripture says, because of a spirit. In 18 years, she was bent over, not able to look anybody in the eye. And in this local synagogue, I have a picture of a first century synagogue, it's not very big. So this Jewish life that we we know was lived in close proximity, she would not have been a stranger to these people. She would have been known by everyone at this synagogue. Yet, she comes into the synagogue with obedience, following God's instruction to practice Sabbath together. All right, let's read on in verse 12. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. Now scripture doesn't tell us specifically when during Jesus' time in the synagogue he reaches out to her. Was he in the middle of his teaching? Was someone praying? Were they reading from the Torah? We don't know, but we do know that when Jesus saw her, his immediate response, the first thing he did, was to call her to him. Wherever this interruption happens, it was necessary. But this woman isn't asking for a miracle. She's not begging Jesus to heal her. She's not sharing her story the way others have done in scripture. She came to be taught. She came to pray, receive the spiritual benefits of the synagogue on Sabbath. And honestly, she probably came because she knew God had commanded it. She probably knew the Torah. She knew that it was important to practice Sabbath. And she didn't call on Jesus, yet he answered her. So this miracle is unasked for. It's performed on a woman, in a synagogue, and it's on the Sabbath. 
right there, there are so many cultural strikes that only goes to show that when Jesus heals, all caution, all regulation is put aside for God's glory to prevail. But some don't see it that way. Verse 14, But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days to be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Shouldn't this miracle have convinced him? Shouldn't it have convinced the synagogue leader of who Jesus really was? He most likely knew this woman. She was a part of his community, a part of his fellowship. But instead, he makes light of Jesus' miracle. He wants Jesus to fit inside these 600 regulations around the Sabbath. And so for a moment, picture this with me in here. Right, a woman comes into our sanctuary this morning, and she needs healing. And you can visibly see that she's, she needs to be healed. And so one of you decides to stand up and go over to her, and you pray for her. And it's a miracle. She's healed. Right before all of our eyes, she's healed. But I get mad because you interrupted my beautiful masterpiece sermon I've worked all week for. <laughs> and not just mad, right? It says indignant. Scripture says the ruler of the synagogue was indignant. He was extremely furious. Quoting scripture at these people, quoting scripture to Jesus, he's fuming that this healing interrupted the Sabbath. How he misses it. Right? We can't always take what Jesus has planned and fit it into our own timetable or even our own paradigm. We have to begin to make a shift to a biblical worldview. We have to make a shift to see life through the lens of Christ. If we're going to let our rigidness and even a little bit of our legalism take us too far, we're going to end up missing the miracles and the glory of Jesus. All right, continuing on, verse 15. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were being done. Jesus confronts the synagogue leaders with their own hypocrisy. They were comfortable holding other people to this high moral standard and quick to pronounce judgment on them when they failed. Yet they themselves couldn't maintain these 600 Sabbath laws. Was it to untie and retie a knot? Was it work to walk your animal to get water? These were common Jewish practices to lead your animal to get water on the Sabbath. It was considered outrageous, barbaric, if you didn't do that. So what was more important here? A donkey or a daughter of Abraham? Who needed to be released? The animals or a woman who was crippled physically and spiritually? In this passage in Luke, we see this clash of the meaning of Sabbath. Is Sabbath meant to be a burden to us? Is it meant to even restrict God himself? Did Jesus come to get rid of the Sabbath? Or did Jesus come to give us God's true intention for Sabbath? In Mark 2, Jesus says that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He also calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. You see, he never intended to change or subvert the Ten Commandments. He wanted his children to know the true power of the Sabbath. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
So take these verses and take them in contrast to the 600 regulations added by the Pharisees. That's a pretty heavy burden. The weight of maintaining your faith in the Lord, the weight of staying in line with the temple, that was something that all Jewish people would attempt to carry. And so with the weight of life on their shoulders, Jesus is handing out invitations to those who feel tired, overworked, and overwhelmed. Is that how you feel today? Do you feel tired? Do you feel overworked? Jesus is saying, here's an invitation to rest. So in exchange for the heavy burdens like work, or for us being the best parent, or being the best Christian, or being the best student or child, in exchange for all of that, Jesus says, here's an invitation to receive his yoke, which is easy and light, and in it there's rest for our souls. Sabbath is the day that we get to exhale. Scripture says, put down the weight of the world, right? Put down the way you're trying to earn your favor with God and receive the gift of rest from Jesus. If you're ready to receive this gift of Sabbath rest, I'm going to share with you some of the blessings you receive by participating in God's invitation to Sabbath. And one blessing is God's community. So I'm going to ask you, what are you doing here this morning? Why are you here? What are you expecting from this morning? And I'm really asking each of you to think about why you're at Carmel Press this morning. And for those of you that are here for the first time or you're visiting us, welcome. We are so glad you're here. And those that maybe were dragged here, we're also really glad that you're here. And some of you would answer that question by saying, well, it's Sunday. And on Sunday, I go to church. It's just what we do. But why? Why is it what you do? You see, CPC has been known for a community feeling, this family feel, actually for the welcoming nature of you guys, of our congregation. And so maybe you've come to Carmel Press this morning because you want to experience that. You want to see your friends. You want to catch up with them. You want to have a regular average cup of coffee and half a donut together. But all those characteristics we love about Sunday mornings, couldn't they also be found at a football game or a birthday party or a beach barbecue? There actually is nothing particularly special about this place then. So why have you come here? Because I believe the thing that makes this place different is that it's God's family. The thing that should make us different as people is that we encounter Jesus together on Sunday mornings. And at the heart of gathering for Sabbath, It has to be Jesus. Acts 2 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. When the early church begins, we catch this glimpse of the importance of not just gathering, The gathering is God's community centered around Christ. At first, the early church met daily and later weekly, but they never gave up this practice of community centered on intimate worship and sharing and learning from scripture. When we participate in receiving Sabbath, we're not going to just find ourselves resting and bored doing nothing. We gather as God's people to worship him and his day. Remember in in the Luke's example, this Luke story we read this morning, when Jesus heals this woman in the synagogue, her immediate reaction and the reaction of the people there was to worship God. That was the first thing they did. So whether you regularly attend this church or another church on Sundays or you just started coming to church, 
I want to invite you to do something we ask of our high school students, and that is stick six. And Pastor Luke might have already mentioned this, but every Wednesday night, one of his announcements is for those who are here for the first time or only come every once in a while, and that is to stick six. He asks them to stick it out for Wednesday night youth group for six weeks, or in this case, Sunday morning worship. Six weeks to explore God's community here and discern if this is something you're going to make a part of your life. And a further stretch for some of you would be to stick out six weeks of an entire Sabbath day, including church. So try for six weeks to practice six Sundays of Sabbath rest. Another blessing is gratitude through remembering God. William Temple is a teacher and preacher during the early 1900s, and he said this, which I think sums up our need for Sabbath. In most of us, the spiritual life is impoverished and stunted because we give so little place to gratitude. You see, we don't look back on our lives very often. We have this forward drive for onward and upward to leave the past in the past. But I believe there's a big connection between Sabbath and gratitude. When God instructs the Israelites in Exodus about Sabbath, it's not just the day he says you get to play hooky from work. The specific instruction was to remember the Sabbath. And throughout the Old Testament, there's this resounding cry for Israel to remember. Remember what God has brought you through. Remember how God has provided for you. Remember that God is the one true God. Psalm 103 begins like this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like eagles. David is this master of poetry, and he praises the Lord in all his glory, and he lists out the many ways that God has graciously poured out goodness upon us. And so I encourage you to read this psalm in its entirety on your own, because it is overwhelming. It really is when we set aside time to be grateful to God. Pastor Rick has previously encouraged us to spend a couple minutes each day, quick time to just write out three to five things that we can be grateful for. So I encourage you to make your remember list. Make a list of the ways that God has blessed you, the things that he's done in your life. And share that with somebody that you're close with. Share that with your small group. So how will Sabbath look when we stand up and walk out of here this morning? In college, one of my mentors um, gave me the task of scheduling out a Sabbath day and a day of solitude. And I had to pick those dates and send them to him, and he would hold me accountable to keeping those times. And if you know me well, you would know that I am a type A person. So I needed that. I needed structure. I needed accountability to set aside that time. But I'll be honest with you. I'm not good at it today. I take Fridays off. That's my day off. And I call it specifically my day off. I don't call it my Sabbath. And that alone tells people what that time is for. I'm basically saying that I, like them, have a two-day weekend. It's just move forward a day. And it tells people there's nothing unique or set apart about these days. It's just my weekend to decompress, to catch up on all the things I've put aside that week, like laundry and bills and chores. So the radical nature of quartering off 24 hours to break from work and rest in order to reconnect with God is so deeply countercultural. That's why we need God's community. We need a time to remember. We need gratitude to help us. I know that I need that. But still, some of you are sitting there thinking to yourselves, but Amanda, I need 
to check my emails. And I need to do my homework. And I need to go on Instagram and like my friends' Instagram pictures. And I need to keep up my Snapchat streaks. And I need to go to practice. But in actuality, the only thing we need is the day to rest in the goodness of the Lord. And not just because he tells us to, but because our souls crave it. They really do. We were created for Sabbath. So what would happen if we went back to really practicing Sabbath? How different would our relationships be with our families and our friends, with work, with school, if we regularly practiced Sabbath? I don't know about you all, but I think we would be the right kind of different if we practiced Sabbath. So let's embrace Sabbath as a gift from God. Remember him and receive his blessings today. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.